You are listening to Women Leading Prevention Science, where we host candid conversations with some of the most accomplished women in the prevention science field. I am Jasmine Ramirez, a counseling psychology doctoral student and a research associate at the University of Oregon. As I move through my early years as a prevention scientist, it is an honor to speak with these inspiring female leaders in the field. This podcast was developed as part of the NIH Helping End Addiction Long-Term Initiative, or the HEAL Prevention Cooperative. The views expressed in this podcast are those of the participants and not the official views of the NIH, the NIH HEAL Initiative, NIDA, or the participating institutions and organizations. So today I'll be talking with Drs. Erin Bonar and Alina Palimario. Erin is a clinical psychologist and Alina is a policy researcher, both of whom are first-generation college graduates. We will be discussing their experiences as first-generation throughout the trajectory of their careers. So let's go ahead and get started. Uh, Erin and Alina, thank you so much for being here today. Uh, I would like to start off by having you both introduce yourselves um, and describe your current work. Erin, uh, would you mind going first? Sure. Thank you so much, Jasmine. So I'm Erin Bonar. I'm an associate professor at the University of Michigan um, in the Department of Psychiatry and the Addiction Center. And as mentioned, I'm a clinical psychologist by training. And the shortest way I can say it is that I study and ways to prevent and treat substance use disorders. So I work across adolescents, young adults, and adults, both in prevention and treatment. Thank you. Alina, would you mind doing the same? Thank you, Jasmine, for uh, inviting me. I'm Alina Palimaru. I'm a policy researcher at the RAND Corporation, where I've been working for the last four and a half years. For listeners who may not be familiar, uh, RAND Corporation is a nonprofit, nonpartisan research organization. Uh, we do research and analysis on a very uh, broad portfolio of um, policy areas, and we're working with a broad range of clients. Um, my background is in health services research, and much of my work at RAND sits at the juncture between uh, health and poverty. So this is where substance use prevention fits in. But um, some of the other studies that I've been leading focus on housing and homelessness, food insecurity, physical disability, and uh, aging. I'm sure our listeners would love to hear kind of the career paths that led you to the current work that you just described. Would you like to start, Alina? My journey has been pretty mixed. For my bachelor's degree, I studied um, a combination of history, political science, and communication. I actually graduated in 2008, just as the Great uh, Recession was starting, so it was perfect timing. Um, but I, I really enjoyed my undergrad because I know history sometimes is, is regarded as a rather um, stuffy uh, and, and maybe irrelevant subject. But the appeal to me was in some of the methods courses that were included in the program that were focused on um, just understanding how to learn to think critically about it, how we render it, and how we use it to learn lessons. And thinking about that program in hindsight, I think it actually um, prepared me really well for my next uh, academic choices because I went on to do a master's of public policy and then a PhD in um, public health um, and health management. And with these uh, graduate programs, my focus was on acquiring a broad set of research skills uh, that I could apply on any given policy area rather than focus in depth on a given population um, on approach. 
And um, I did that, it was by design because I knew that in my career, I wanted to be able to explore a range of policy uh, areas and be able to deploy the right method to, to understand various issues. And thankfully, this is something that I can do in my position at RAND. And maybe this is one of the differences that that Erin and I would be touching on in terms of working in academia versus working in uh, in a place like RAND. Um, and so it, it allows me to take this more horizontal approach, I suppose, as, as opposed to a vertical one. Uh, and I think there is depth to this because, of course, we all know that a lot of um, our, the problems don't exist in neat little drawers. There's a lot of overlap in areas in life and problems and policy issues. And so uh, being able to manage this cross flow of expertise and to capitalize on the synergy of various disciplines can help you think laterally. So it sounds like from the from the very beginning, you knew that you wanted to take more of a broad approach versus um, trying to hone in into one specific area of research or area of focus or even a career um, and wanting to be able to work across uh, kind of different aspects in terms of um, whatever work it was you were doing. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, I'm generally intellectually very curious. So I wanted to have that freedom to explore. Of course, one of the things that we know, we recognize as researchers is that humanity is on shifting sands. And so change, change is the norm and being able to um, adapt and, and explore new things was, was something that I wanted to be uh, ready for. Um, and I think that the work that I do in prevention science and some of the other studies that I'm leading in homelessness and, and food insecurity and aging benefits from from being aware of, of these issues across the board and, and these methodologies across the board. I just love what you said about shifting fans. When I reflect on my career path, I think my journey, um, I always tell people that I've been in the substance use or the addiction field my whole life. Um, that's because I grew up on a tobacco farm in Kentucky. So a rural area and literally my job as a child was to help raise tobacco. But beyond my early contributions to tobacco use disorders, um, I became interested more so in substance use as an undergraduate. And and as a first generation student, there was not a lot of guidance that I was receiving. Um, I knew I wanted to be a psychology major because um, I was curious about people. Why do we do what we do? People told me I was a good listener and I gave good advice. I don't actually give advice as a psychologist now. That's not really what I do. But it led me to psychology. And I think so much of my path along the way has had to do with meeting the right mentors who took me under their wing or supported me or sponsored me at the right times. And so it happened to be that as an undergraduate at Northern Kentucky University, which is a you know college, small teaching college in the area I grew up in, um, I met my psychology mentor, Dr. Perry Lou Goddard, not in a psychology course, but in a French course. So she was auditing this class and then said, oh, you really have to take my drug policy class. And I it took a drug policy class, and then I realized how behind our country was in terms of how we were dealing with substance use and how logical other places had figured out how to treat the issue and really you know, made that sort of a passion of mine to focus on and, and to pursue that career on the path that eventually you know, got me here researching prevention as well. 
And that really came from as a graduate student it, um, and as a you know early clinician practicing, seeing people with substance use disorders and thinking, what can we do upstream so that these folks don't end up in my office as a clinician down the road? And that's sort of what led to sort of my kind of a bifurcated, you know, career where I'm focusing in on prevention and treatment. I um, tend to be drawn to work with with late adolescents and young adults. And part of that is that's before most people develop problems. So the idea of upstream prevention, going upstream of the problem to address it um, ahead of time. Um, and so I am really interested in especially the young adult population. I think it's just really important that if we can help people before the problem starts, we can completely alter a trajectory of well-being. And again, a trajectory away from substance use disorder, which are chronic relapsing conditions that we don't want anyone to have to manage. As a first-generation college student myself, I was interested to hear about the challenges Erin and Alina experienced as they navigated college and their educational training. Erin described how she struggled with feeling out of place, and Alina, being born in Romania, had to work hard to learn English to pursue education in the United States. Both women said that having supportive family or mentors were vital in overcoming these challenges. Through the challenges they have faced, Erin and Alina have also experienced many successes and cite their greatest professional accomplishment is the impact their research has had in helping others. I think it's really important that you highlight the dual identity of, you know, first generation and women in academia. I think um, that that is critical that we're not one without the other and there, and there may be other also multiple intersecting identities. I think for me, it was, um, a challenge was feeling potentially out of place, but not only feeling out of place, um, particularly coming to um, a leading university like Michigan as a faculty member or as a postdoc initially, uh, having come from small teaching schools, very, you know, sort of Midwestern relaxed vibes, and then um, coming to a very elite research focused university. I thought I'll have people told me I don't belong. Uh, and, and because of the sort of academic pedigree. And so when, when we already have implicit things working against us, being also told that really is um, discouraging. And yet what really buffered against those challenges were, again, having the critical mentors and the support, the people who sort of could work with me through those challenges, who could give me guidance on the things that are sort of the unspoken norms about academic medicine, about research at an R1 university. Um, and that was really critical. And I really credit folks like uh, Maureen Walton, who's my MPI of my HEAL prevention grant, as well as Steve Trumack, who was a mentor of mine, you know, very early on when I came to Michigan. And that just, it wouldn't be, um, I think, possible to have succeeded as well without those folks guiding me. Elena, what about yourself? Actually, really interesting to to listen to um, Erin's framing of the challenges. I think it aligns with mine in many ways because I think that you know we tend to talk about challenges in a negative way, but I think without challenges, sometimes we tend to become complacent. Um, and looking in in hindsight to some of the challenges that I've had to um, overcome, I. I of course, it was not pleasant to have to realize that it's a challenge and you have to work harder to overcome it. But I think I'm a, maybe a better 
person and a better researcher because of those challenges. Um, I, like Erin, I'm a first generation um, college graduate. I actually come from a small town in uh, central Romania, in Transylvania. Um, and uh, nobody in my family speaks English still. I'm an only child. My parents were working class, so uh, they just graduated from high school. Um, so my challenges initially were more practical in terms of um, making sure that I maximized my time at school to learn English because there was no way I could practice it at home, for example. Um, also, in some Eastern European countries, when you live in provincial areas, it is a bit of a disadvantage because everything tends to be concentrated in the capital city. And, and my town is uh, a little over 100 miles away from the capital city. And that's where everything was happening. You know, all the uh, foreign institutes were opening branches there, um, you know, concerts, cultural events, libraries, you know, everything that was good was in a capital city. Um, and like Erin, I've benefited from uh, strong support from my parents and my, and my mentors. They've been an important source of support and guidance along the way. Um, you know, my parents, although they did not have higher degrees, they valued education for me because they knew that could be a stepping stone to a better life. And in that case meant to being able to leave Romania and study abroad, for example. When I was in high school, uh, and that's when I was uh, trying to build my, my English skills, the British Council happened to open a, a library branch in my small town. And to me, that was uh, an access to the world. So that's how I learned about education abroad. And I was able to access uh, English language materials and, and videotapes and so on to practice my accent and, and, and everything. I started my undergrad at Drexel and then moved on to American University. It's been, again, very supportive professors and, and mentors along the way who've guided me and who've supported me and provided not just academic guidance, but also professional guidance and, and just advice. I think it's really interesting to hear the different takes in terms of the challenges that you both have mentioned. I was wondering what you would both say are your biggest successes or accomplishments, um, and that could be in prevention science or just kind of in general. Um, Alina, I know that, again, your work is pretty broad, and so mm -hmm. don't want to limit that to prevention science. For me, I would say it's, it's the impact. Uh, like many researchers, I do enjoy getting the papers published and getting the, the grants funded, but the thing that fulfills me most is um, hearing back from either clients or study participants about the ways in which they've benefited from our work. Um, in prevention sciences, I've been working with uh, my mentor at RAND, Dr. Liz D'Amico. For the last two and a half years, I've been working with her on one of the HEAL initiative projects that she's leading uh, together with Dan Dickerson, um, who's a, a Native American clinical psychiatrist. Um, and so this is a, uh, the development of a program to prevent substance use among young adult Native Americans who live in urban areas. And we've recently done an evaluation of their satisfaction and their experience with a Takuna program that we developed. And uh, we were so excited to see their narrative descriptions of the very practical ways in, ways in which they feel they're going to change their lives and, and make healthy choices based on the information they received in the program. But 
beyond that, some of the other work that I've done at RAND has been commissioned by local government departments or nonprofits or health plans. And over the years, we've heard back from them uh, about how they've used our studies to either make changes to a health or housing program, to, to various local policies that ultimately would have benefited the clients they serve. So to me, that is the highlight is, uh, is being able to help people. So that, that's what drives me, this notion of preventing suffering and just helping people. Yeah, Alina, I mean, I think impact really is the key word. And you said, and I agree with, because, you know, as scientists, you know, the grind part of the job is the papers, the grants, the you know, the effect size, does this, you know, mean differ from that mean? Did our intervention really work? And regardless of the means and the effect sizes, we have that feedback from real people who say this program helped me or from the literally the some of the lives that some of my team members have saved because we assessed for suicide risk and we connected the person to the correct resources at a time that was needed. And those individual moments are much more powerful to me than an effect size of a randomized controlled trial, which we know is important for, for getting effective work out there and for supporting what we do. But it's those, you know, moments of people saying something changed for me because of involvement in something our team was doing that that sustains in the day-to-day -day hard work and the slog and the grind. Alina and Erin had advice for young women interested in pursuing a career in prevention science. Alina suggested they work to master the basics of time management skills and start the journey with the right attitude. Erin wants young women to know that they need to have initiative and perseverance. Both women agree that it is important to find good mentors and sponsors and to stay true to your value system. I would say, and this is the advice that I have for anybody uh, wanting to start in research or, or have a professional career, not necessarily just women, is just to master the basics uh, in terms of personal time management and coming in with the right attitude. So uh, just basic things like managing your time, showing up on time, coming in with the right attitude that every day is a school day, uh, you know, being a team player when you need to be one, uh, but also being a self-starter and taking initiative uh, and, and focusing on accuracy and, and precision. These are very basic things, but if they are there, at least you have something to build on. And unfortunately, over the years, as I've been uh, working with other graduate students, I've been mentoring some junior colleagues, um, I have seen very, very talented people, I think, being held back by something like the wrong, just the wrong attitude of thinking that, you know, they know best, not listening uh, to others and just the basics of not managing time, over committing, which is a big shame. I 100% agree with with everything you said, Alina, and that for me, um, I would boil it down to that idea of initiative, right? So if you're taking initiative, everything else will, that you said comes with it. And I also think that um, one of the other key things is stars don't always align. Sometimes when I tell my story, I think about these wonderful human beings that were key touchstones 
that were there because of where we both were at a moment in, in times in our lives. And so to think about the stars not aligning, I really come back to a recent lecture I went to by Dr. Tabby Chavez at University of Michigan, um, which is actually connected in some ways to this. So Dr. Maureen Walton, my mentor, was recently honored for uh, receiving um, an Excellence in Mentoring Award. And so Dr. Chavez at the ceremony gave this wonderful talk about mentoring, but she talked about mentoring and sponsorship. There's a difference between mentoring and sponsors, and we need kind of all of those in our network. But it's also that mentoring and sponsorship are two-way streets. So the idea that you may not stumble upon the right mentor at the right time in your life in a in sort of a meet cute like in a romantic comedy movie the way the way I did with my you know person from undergraduate in my French class we might not have those those stars aligned moments but we can what Dr. Chavez was saying about a two-way street is we can seek that out so it's it's also comes back to initiative like Alina was saying we may not stumble around along the right people at the right time, but we can go be looking for those folks. We can take initiative to identify those and try on different relationships. So not every person you think may be a mentor is going to lead to the long-term relationship or a sponsor. And so it's sort of taking that initiative, putting yourself out there, and, you know, because the stars won't always align for you. Make your stars align. I completely agree with Erin and, and just wanted to to build on what you said, Erin, uh, about mentorship. I, I know that sometimes uh, from hearing other colleagues speak, you know, they talk about that one mentor. But of mm -hmm. course, mentors have different strengths and different perspectives. So, so they can advise you on different aspects of your career. And this is what happened with me. I've cultivated a lot of mentors, but also they, they don't always have to come from academia. I seek advice and and sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't. But I think having a diversity of perspectives and people with different strengths helps. So not getting hung up on having that one person available all the time is, is definitely something to consider in my view. I think one key thing for anyone listening to this, I mean, the audience, right, is, is people who may want to be in prevention science, young young people coming up in the field or new to the field people, particularly women. So I think it's just that perseverance matters, that um, that you can, you know, sort of be yourself and be who you are while still um, doing the work that you love and that you find your place. And it can be sort of a trial and error, or you can try on different things and decide and you know, that that is, I think, um, a really important note. And I think also keeping true to your value system. So much of what I've heard when I've listened to these podcasts or I've talked to other people is it comes back to a, a personal value system. And so I think when you're guided by that, you um, kind of can't go wrong. And I want to build on that by saying that I think that can guide you in the, the kind of research you do and a focus on quality and the kind of people you want to help. But I think the value system is also important when it comes to the to, to managing the work-life balance, which I think is, is such a challenge for all of us. Um, and I say that because, um, we're, you know, we're so focused on trying to build our CVs and saying yes to every opportunity and being afraid to let some things go. 
And that has been one of the things that has kept me sane, you know, having a strategy for that, having very clear boundaries and realistically planning my time with some buffer to make sure that I can deliver what I say I would, when I say I would, and uh, to the quality that people expect, because that's so important to towards building a reputation in science. And so the ability to say no um, has played an important role. And I know that many of my colleagues really struggle with that because when you say no, it comes with the recognition that you're going to miss out on that one national panel and taking on that one extra study and being on that one extra paper and reviewing that one extra article. But with your value system, that will inform, that, that will make you comfortable with saying no, because to me, you know, it's, it's, I have this other side to my life other than research. I like to do things in, in private. You know, I like reading for, for leisure. I like watching Formula One. I like trying VR games and I like spending time with my husband and I want to be able to do those things. And I think knowing that I value and that that's important for me has made it easier to balance uh, commitments, not over committing and then just realistically just saying no. Thank you for taking the time to speak with me today. And thank you to our listeners for joining us for Women Leading Prevention Science. We hope you enjoyed this episode and that you'll continue to join us as we host candid conversations with some of the most accomplished women in the prevention science field. We hope you'll share this podcast with your prevention science colleagues and with any young woman you know that may be interested in pursuing a career in science. The HEAL Prevention Cooperative is funded through the NIH HEAL Initiative, an aggressive effort to speed scientific solutions to curb the national opioid public health crisis. The HEAL Prevention Cooperative includes 10 research projects throughout the country and one coordinating center based at RTI International in Research Triangle Park, North Carolina. For more information on the NIH HEAL Initiative, please visit heal.nih.gov.